Hey everybody, welcome back to Back to Basic. I am your host, Danielle. And this week I thought we would start it off with a little conversation about boy bands. So I have always been obsessed with boy bands. Honestly, I like to say that I'm a product of my generation. You know, the 90s and early 2000s was the boy band era. And I truly was thriving. It basically all started because Disney used to have these concert specials. And one day when I was seven, I can very vividly remember it, which is kind of funny, I guess, because it was such a pivotal moment in my life, which sounds crazy, but it really was. I was about to meet some friends outside to play because, you know, in the 90s, that's what you did. I got a call from my friend next door, my best friend, who said, hey, turn on Disney Channel. There's this band and I think I like them. I turned it on, probably listened to like one song. It was probably like tearing up my heart or something like that. And I was immediately obsessed. I loved sync so much just from that moment. You know, when you're seven, you don't need a lot to love something. And also, I didn't need a reason for it. I kind of missed those days. I didn't feel the need to explain myself for doing something as much as I do now. But I loved them, went outside to go tell my friends how much I love them. Anyway, fast forward, we became obsessed with NSYNC. We learned all the songs, all the dances. They were my first concert ever. I very vividly remember being in like second grade, wearing NSYNC shirts to school and being made fun of because at the time they weren't as popular. So so basically everybody was making fun of me for wearing NSYNC. And then a couple years later, obviously they blew up. So haha. Um, actually, I think I wrote my college essay about that sidebar, but I loved NSYNC from that moment on and it just really became such a piece of my personality. So now, you know, obviously years later, I love boy bands for what they represent for me, which is that first love of something so much, that first pop culture obsession, listening to the music brings me back. It just makes me happy. I know a lot of people that I'm friends with love it. And it's something we can relate about. It's something we can all enjoy together. We can dance, we can sing, we can kind of be silly and really just like have that moment. You know, I saw Backstreet Boys last year in concert with Noah and that was uh, so much fun. Even he was like dying and singing, which was amazing. Again, something we could relate to because it's something we grew up with. And then I saw Jonas Brothers with some really good friends last year as well. And again, so much fun. We all just danced and drank and sang and it was amazing. And I think that's why I love boy bands so much because it did start obviously in that seven-year-old phase of I just like it. I don't know why I just like it. And then even being made fun of, I still was like, no, I stood my ground. And now it's like such a nostalgic thing and such a feel-good thing for me. So anything boy band, I'm there. And in college, there was a brief period of boy band obsessing. So it's really followed me throughout multiple chapters of my life. And it reminds me of a simpler time. And it reminds me of a time where I stuck to my guns and stood my ground on the things I loved and the things I did. And I think I could learn a lot from seven-year-old Danielle, honestly. I feel like now I over-explain myself why I like the things I like, why I do the things I do. I try to justify a lot in my life now, and I think that comes from a lot of outside factors. But, you know, seven years old, wearing that sync shirt, buying that sync blanket, which I still have to this day, and let me tell you, it is very comfortable. I didn't feel the need to explain anything. I just loved it, and I loved it because I loved it, and there was no reason for me to tell you otherwise. So, yeah. And uh, the reason that I'm bringing up boy bands so much and just wanted to give you a little background about my love for boy bands is because the episode you are about to hear... Pat Oates, 
Well, he is a fellow boy band lover, and I honestly could not love something more. He and I work together at the radio station that I work at, and he is a comedian, a podcaster, a radio host. He is so funny. He is so much fun to talk to. I've been on his podcast as well. And he and I kind of go on a tangent about boy bands for a little bit, and I love it. And he loves boy bands for many of the same reasons I just explained. But uh, you will definitely laugh listening to this episode. You might be inspired to write some jokes. And uh, I hope that you are ready to get back to basic with Pat Oates. Pat, thank you so much for joining me on my podcast this time. How are you? Oh, tremendous. That's right. We went through this. You're tremendous. Or splendid. splendid. Flustered yet flabbergasted. Does that work? Flustered yet flabbergasted. I like that. That's also a lot of alliteration. It is a lot. Of, now I have to go Google alliteration, but once I find that out, I'll let you know if it was. So you are tremendous and splendid. And people who may not know, you and I work together at a radio station. And you are on the radio, but you're also a comedian and a podcaster and you do all the things. So I want you to just tell us who you are. Well, I'm, uh, I've only been doing radio one year. I just, I just celebrated my one year anniversary, I guess. And, wow. um, but I've only been in a studio for what, like seven months because yeah. then everything that had the whole world's different now. That's true. So Pat did not start off as a radio host. You started off as a comedian. Doing comedy, uh, 13 years in July, um, and about eight professionally. I was actually tricked into it. Um, a lot of people have great stories of like, I grew up watching comedy or this and that. No, not really. I liked it, but I didn't really thought about doing it, but my friends thought I was funny. And a buddy of mine signed me up for a comedy contest at a bar in Naugatuck, told me we're just going to watch and hang out and have wings. And the contest went on. Um, there was three other people in it. There was the fry cook from the actual bar. There Stop. was a magician. There was a magician. And then there was um, a guy who just lost his job and needed a hundred dollar prize to like pay a bill. So those three went up. They didn't do well. I heard my name called. My buddy looks at me and says, you can do it. Behind me were the three judges. It was the owner of the bar, the owner of the bar's dad, and a woman they were both trying to sleep with, apparently. Oh, my and God. They were battling over her. And they were sitting like American Idol judges style. And so I made fun of them. I made fun of the other contestants. And I won $100. And my buddy turns to me and goes, you're better than three people. That's a start. And then the next sure. day I went on MySpace. That's how long ago this was. Mm-hmm. I went on MySpace and searched comedians in my area. Found this comedian named Linda Bell out of West Hartford. I was living in Simsbury at the time. I said, where do comics go to work on stuff? And she's like, oh, there's open mics in Hartford. And I went that day and caught the comedy bug and have not stopped doing it ever since. Wait, that's crazy. I didn't know. So you're basically Kelly Clarkson. I am ba- most people say Kelly Clarkson is basically me because oh, okay. I, I was alive first and I, and I believe that I actually inspire her in a lot of ways. And if I stand upside down, I look like her cause it's the same hair, but on my chin. Yeah. And also if I squint a little bit, I can see it. So you started off by force, your friend forced you to do it. And then you just immediately fell in love. Were you nervous at all? Like your name was called and you were just like, all right, let's go. It wasn't like I watched three other comedians do well. I watched, it was like watching karaoke having a couple of drinks and going, I can sing that song. Okay. It wasn't, it wasn't scary or anyway. And no, cause I, I thought, I thought I didn't care. About, I think I was going to win. I thought it'd be funny to make fun of everyone out loud. 
So no, I've never had a fear of being on stage. My only thing with comedy is that I didn't understand how to be universal and have everyone relate to what I'm talking about. Anyone can be funny. You can tell all your friends a joke, but they know you. They know the characters you talk about. So you can do that. But once you have to tell other people and you have to say, well, you, you had to be there, then you can't be a comic. It's You have to learn that way to make sure everyone understands it. And that took me a little while. But standing in front of people and just, making fun of stuff. That's something I did my whole life for attention. So it was very easy switch. So how did you learn? You just did it? Like you continued to do open mics or did you like study something? Like open how did mics, you really- shows, yeah. listen to everybody, paid attention. If anyone came up and gave me advice, even if I didn't know who they were, I, I took it. I didn't always use everything, but I listened to everything, continued to go and then failed a lot. I, for a while, I didn't think I needed jokes. A lot, for a while, I thought I could just go on stage and riff and make fun of people. And that worked. People laughed, but I also, some people hated it and walked out and I'd be a risk to some people. Some people like, we can't book you because you're going to make people leave. Like you're being just mean sometimes. And I was also in an angry place in my life. Like, okay. so I was projecting that out. About like four years ago when I quit drinking, kind of opened up everything, made me a little happier person. Okay. I started to enjoy comedy more. So therefore I could still be that person that seemed like he was coming off the top of his head, but people were knew I was enjoying myself. So they enjoyed it as well. And that's when I started to realize I could also write jokes that I don't have to just yell that I could make up my, I could write material. I'm not, I always thought I wasn't talented enough. That was a depression thing. That was a sadness thing. Okay. And now I believe in me. So I was able to do it. So then I started really paying attention to what other people did. And I actually wrote a book about doing comedy called how not to suck at comedy, um, which is on Amazon and stuff, but um, all about all the things I learned about that. I did not know you wrote a book. Um, I'm going to go check that out. That's amazing. And also, I think radio hosts, podcasters in general could really learn from that. Radio, we assume that they, they tuned in for the attention. In comedy, they did come in, but radio, they can just turn it off. Right. You have to physically get up and walk out. And I'd rather know, think in my head, ah, somebody just turned it off, than watch them physically turn me off. You know mm. what I mean? Like, like yeah. in an audience, when they cross their arms, when they're upset, when they're visibly upset by what you're saying that that's tough to deal with and they paid for a ticket they got to be there so one of the things you always got to remember like a lot of young comics will say something that's offensive or whatever it's not you can't do it you got to frame it in the right way so they can laugh but you can't just go well i'm a comedian so i can say what i want no the the people came out to laugh it's your job to be funny and make sure they understand where your what your message is so that takes a lot but radio has been helpful for me in comedy it's taught me I'm a rambler. Like I have been this entire interview. Um, (laughs) I love it. It makes my job easy. That's what everyone says, but in in comedy it works. But in radio, that's my biggest thing. When I do the air checks and work with people, they're like, less is more. You're very funny, but do it in 30 seconds. And I've I've learned how to do that. It's helped my jokes to write crisper, cleaner jokes too and edit out some of the garbage in there. Well, you know what's funny? So I don't know. Have you ever seen or heard of the show Marvelous Mrs. Maisel? I know of the show. I watched a couple episodes. Okay. So what you just said in the beginning, how you like your first half of your career, the first beginning was like making fun of people and just like talking about your own stuff. Like in the show, she does that in the beginning. And then finally they're like, no, you need to start writing jokes. Mm -hmm. How did you figure that out? I I realized, I I mean, early on I would write jokes, but I didn't put the preparation or work in like like all comics, no matter what, even when you think they're just making stuff up, it's, it's a, it's a act. It's they're they're practicing it all the time. No one's just going up. Even the crowd work people are doing like 20% crowd work because it takes so much to just come off the top of your head originally and have it make sense to everyone. Okay. I was somebody that was, I'd have a loose ended thing, but not really structuring it and trying to write it. 
and it, it that was all self-doubt. I watched other comics who were really well written and and their jokes were like perfect and edited right and they, they flowed every time and no matter you could hear it 30 times and laugh 30 times. It was kind of mm-hmm. like a Beatles album where you're like I can listen every time and I'm going to enjoy the song every time. And I was like, well I'm not talented like these guys so I can't do that. Mm-hmm. And so I r- relied heavily on this one thing that with the crowd work, if I do it a little bit, it shines. It's like frosting on a cake. But okay. it can't be the whole cake because then it gets boring and it doesn't become fun. One day, a buddy of mine, it was a comic, and actually a radio guy too, and uh, uh, there's a radio station, and a classic rock station in Western Mass, and they have a show called Baxton O'Brien. Their producer is Steve Nagel, who's a comic and a really good friend of mine. And he, one time, about two years in, said to me, you, you're really funny, but you do know you could write jokes, right? And he's really said to me in that way, he's like, if you take this and use it as just like an added gift, Mm -hmm. in like your special power and not like everything you're doing it'll come off so much more special you know if you if i watch you do a backflip and you do it once and i'm like that's awesome but then you do seven more but the sixth one i'm like i mean you're good at backflips but can i see something else okay and it's like so like but if you just in the middle of your show just did a backflip i'd be like oh this show is great just doing a backflip one time so that kind of learning those two powers that way so do you actually sit down and try to brainstorm or is it like observational humor what do you do how do you come up with your like material everybody has different ways of doing it me it's from everything every day so i'm walking around something happens my life experiences but the way i write is actually been slowed down with this quarantine because I can't, I'm not somebody who can sit down at first pen to paper. Okay. I have an idea. I put it in my phone, like just a word or two. Let's say I was at the store and I saw some lady fall and I'm like, oh, that made me laugh. I want to tell the story of that. So I write lady fell down, whatever. And I go to an open mic. And then for fi- the five minute set I would do there, I would verbally just work out like a brainstorm, but out loud in front of people, the story. It might not have a punchline yet. It might not have, but me working out how I think it should work. I audio record that. I bring it home and then I write based off the audio recording what I did. Then I go back to a mic. I do it again. Same process, editing and changing until I start finding structure, a punchline, a premise that works and a beginning that leads it all in and makes people understand it. Now, at the end of the day, the story might be completely different than when it was when I first saw it, but now it makes sense to everyone. But I have to go through that. Wow. So you actually like really prepare. Yeah. Almost and that's every so funny. comic when you see them, you think yeah. when they watch, oh, they're just talking. Yeah. They're doing it every night, nonstop, painstakingly writing, editing, pulling out words, changing the framework, moving where it goes from here to there. That's all like in my book and stuff too. But like it's it really is like a science. You start learning it. It's almost like formulas. But sometimes you, your first idea you get is the punchline. Like there's especially like one liner comics and people like that, you get this funny thing that's the punch and then you have to write the premise to it most people get the premise first the idea what it's going to be and then have to figure out the punchline uh okay if you're somebody who's never written a joke and you have a funny story you tell someone when you're telling a story to someone usually the best part of the story is in the middle because you start off like me and my friends went to the beach Mm -hmm. big crazy thing happened and then you're like and then we drove home we all talked about it it was a nice day now that's not a punchline it's a story now, if you're going to turn a story into a joke, you find the best part of the middle and you okay. take that and make that the end. And then, yes, you pull out a lot of truth because comedy isn't 100% truth. Like if, if just true stories were funny, your uncle at the barbecue would be the greatest comic of all times. You know what True. Saying? So it's how you take it and frame it and make it make sense and put in things that might have been different. Maybe in your joke, it was you that said this crazy thing. But in my act, if I was, if I had a brother who said crazy things, I'd keep put, I'd give him that framework. I'd make him that person because it fits his character more than mine. And also right. I can put the bad things on him and I still look like the hero or vice versa. So it's playing with the story and making it work. When I tell stories, I find if it's like a funnier story, I like exaggerate some things. Of course you know. Like 
I could be a comic is what you're saying. Yes, I, that's exactly what I said. Um, I, I, this whole interview was about how you should be a comic. That's what I was saying. But <laughs> no, it, it really that. is that it, people that are afraid of comedy, fear of two things, being in front of people, mm-hmm. which, by the way, is very easy if you can be selfish. Even radio, even us perform, doing this, it, we have to have a selfish aspect to us. Because right. right now, you and I are on a podcast, and we believe that people need to hear what we're talking about. True. That takes something. We, we really are making – we're not sitting going, like, we're so cocky, we're going to change the world. But we're like, no, when we talk, it will entertain, and you have to have that belief. But that's a selfish belief. And so there, to me, to go on stage and think my idea about this show – like, I watch Cobra Kai. I think the world needs to know my funny joke and observation about it. That's the selfishness that we have. But that also hurts us in the real world sometimes when people are like trying to tell us something. It's like, yeah, that's great. But you want to hear about my last air check? That's <laughs> hilarious. You know, so like we have that selfishness that yeah. drives us that way. Some people can't be, they don't have that in them. I just know I need to get my message out. And then the other one oh. is being able to get away from the truth. Some okay. people are like, well, I tell this story. That's not how it happened though. It was my aunt that did this. I'm like, yeah, yeah. your aunt has nothing to do with the story. If you tell me about the aunt and then the whole story is about your uncle, I'm waiting at the end of the story. Like I have a, the audience is a, a sponge and they absorb everything. Right. So if they take that in, they're waiting for you to talk about the aunt. And then when the joke ends and you're like, where's the aunt? You're not laughing as hard, but you have to cut that part out. But some people don't understand that. And that's what you have to do. You painstakingly have to, you have to destroy something that made you laugh once to make it funny for everyone else. Like ah, you're almost okay. beating it up to the point where it's like, okay, everyone else will now laugh at this. And, but you inside aren't, but you have to make it look like it's the first time you've ever told it. Okay. So basically you need to be a liar and you need to be selfish. Without a doubt. Okay. In so, most things in life. Like that's true. Which is so funny you say that because like story time, because we're going to focus on me for a second. Um, when I was in – selfish. When I was – it is my podcast. <clears throat> I was, I'm applauding it. So when I was in college, I went to do this like cabaret thing, and I had not performed in a really long time like since high school. And it was like – they were like, do you want to do a solo, like sing? I was like, yeah, sure, I could do that. And when it came time for me to like just rehearse it, and it was in front of all these kids who had been like performers and like they're singers, and they're like, okay, your turn. And I'm like, I can't, I can't do it. And they're like, but you've been in front of people. Right. And I'm like, yeah, but like, I just can't do it. And I didn't do it. Moral of the story. I didn't do it. And it wasn't until radio that I started, like, like you said, being more selfish with it and being like, I can be up here. It's so funny that you say like, you didn't have that. You just like got on stage and you were just like, I'm good. I'm going to do it. I'm going to talk. I want people to listen. Did you ever have any stage fright or anything that was like a moment where you're on stage and you're just like, Oh God, like deer in headlights. Never had that. The only thing I say I had, I was going through some stuff where I was like depressed and not really liking me. So okay. I always believed that I wasn't supposed to be there. Ooh, and that okay. really kind of helped me. It's like, I'd be on a show. I'd be in front of a thousand people a couple times in my life. I mean, like, usually it's only like a hundred, 200, something like that. But like, there was times I was on show with other huge names and I'm being paid to be on the show. But in my head, it was like, well, no one else was available or they want me on for this reason. Or, you know, it doesn't matter how I do because I'm not like these real comics. And that was a thought in my head. But I always went on the stage because I always just knew I would, I knew I knew what I was doing, but I was almost afraid someone was going to say he's faking it. I don't know mm. why, but it was that kind of thought. Okay. And I, and I think radio started with me the same way where I was like, why is he? Well, he's on because he was 
funny on Chaz and AJ. He was on because they, you know, his voice sounds different. He's on because they're trying to get away from regular radio and he's the farthest thing from regular radio. But then I'm like, wait, no, they didn't. They, I know a ton of people that wanted to be on radio and they were like, well, they took the risk to say, we will train you from having no knowledge besides I went to Connecticut School of Broadcasting in like 2004 or something and, oh. and I in, interned quickly for like, uh, uh, what you call it, for uh, up in Hartford, I think it was like um, 96.5 and stuff like that. Okay. But I was already, I had, a, I had one kid and another one on the way. And it's like, I can't be an intern. So I just never did it. Okay. Besides learning that, which by the way, learning radio then and what it is now are two different oh, worlds. Oh, very anyway, different. Yeah. I had no training or idea what to do. And they had no problem saying, we'll teach you that part. Just be you. So that was a thing that helped with my confidence as well. You do need confidence, borderline cockiness to think you're supposed to entertain. So is that how you built the confidence by like telling yourself, I can't do this and eventually realizing, oh, wait, I can do this. Like, how did you build that confidence? You also said you started in a darker place. And I know that a lot of us have been there. So I'm just curious how you like dug Guilt. yourself out. Guilt? Guilt is my best friend. Um, being dead serious. When you see all my posts of me running and holding, yeah. I put that picture up because if I don't one day, someone in my mind, someone's going to go, Oh, did you quit running? Oh, are you a quitter? When I put pictures up saying I'm, I'm at this open mic or at this show, or I'm going to be on the radio today. I put that up not only to promote, but to say, so somebody, if I don't do it says, Oh, are you not good enough for radio anymore? Are you not doing comedy anymore? So by putting it up there, I'm putting myself in a spot that I have to do it. I need that weird guilt to make me do the thing. That drives me because if not, I just sit back there and I just go, uh, I'm not worthy of those things anyway. But if I make it so I have to or it's embarrassing, then I'm in. Really? Yeah. And I'm sure my therapist, when I share that one day, they're <laughs> going to be like, that is not good, but it works. So then on social media, like, cause you do post a lot, you promote what you're doing, you share what like you're doing personally. Um, how do you feel about social media? It's the way we communicate and we, we as entertainers, we need to do it. Yeah. Um, I've also found that it's, especially in this time, it's an outlet that gets, that doesn't fill the comedy void, but it does help a little bit. But with me, 80% of it is my open mic. Mm -hmm. because I've learned that if I, instead of going to a, a show and saying something and hoping people enjoy it and I can go, Oh, they like this idea. Let me work on it. I put a premise out or an idea or a thought on social media. And if it gets likes or comments, I go, Oh, this people are relating to this continue this thought. Like a lot of the things, even my own personal stuff, even when I'm going through stuff. I'm like, which thing that I, cause to me, I like writing jokes that also have pain and any, we can all make someone laugh, but I like eliciting more than just laughter because if I get you to laugh and then feel something and then laugh at the end, that relief laugh is a bigger laugh than that regular laugh. It'll resonate with you. You'll remember me and the joke next time you go to a situation and you encounter what I was talking about. You're like, Oh, I remember that guy and that joke. I felt that way. The same thing. The social media helps me with that. I do think it's toxic, but I think mm -hmm. everywhere is toxic. So you have to be able to take in what you can. Like I make my newsfeed for me. So do you ever deal with criticism on social media? Cause like, I know oh, yes. that there's so many trolls out there oh, yeah, all the time, but those people end up also becoming some of my bigger fans. Really? In comedy, we joke around, like, especially if I'm on a podcast, with other comics will bust each other's chops, you know, whatever, and do that stuff. Yeah. They, these fans and stuff see that and go, well, I want to joke around with him. So I'm going to do it. And they forget that I don't know that they exist. There's just some Twitter handle. And then they're like making fun of me or saying messed up stuff to me and hoping for a reaction. Mm -hmm. And then if I don't react 
and I block them, or as other people say, what the heck, they champion that. They're like, ha I got Pat to block me. And then they, the other little dorks get together and like, yeah, we did it. <laughs> but if I also just engage them a little bit, sometimes they chill. A lot of times they'll be, they have bravado in front of everyone. But then in the DM, it's like, you know, we're just kidding, right, man? I'm like, well, post that. Yeah, because I'm still a human being with feelings and I didn't say anything to you or know you. I'm sharing myself. I'm trying to be entertaining and you're telling me you don't think I'm funny. You don't think I'm talented. You think. This yeah. Is, and then but then again, you follow me and you've liked every post and talked about your something's happening. The, the, the biggest thing I don't like about social media it mm-hmm. is it stopped eye to eye contact. Mm-hmm. And I don't even mean it like in a tough guy, like you wouldn't say that to my face, but really, you wouldn't say that to my face because you're a human being and I'm a human being. And if you did, you'd frame it a different way and you'd hope that we could have a resolve. Even if you were upset with me, you wouldn't say the vile things that you don't, don't, you're not even thinking of me as a person. I'm just something on the computer because you're home alone, sad because you're a loser. That's not my fault. You're a yeah. loser. But but if you said <laughs> it to my, if, if I was in your face, yeah, I would call you a loser, but I'd right. do it in a fun way. So you have kids. Yes. Do you like them being on social media? Like, or is <laughs> Do it- you like them? Like, you like them. Going? Do you like your kids? Do you like your kids? I'm in the minority with this, but when my parents would say, well, we didn't sit in front of the TV. I'm like, well, you didn't have TV the whole time. Um, you didn't do this. Well, you didn't have that the whole time. They, social media, online, computer, that's how they interact in life. Right. But when someone's like, you don't go out and see your friends. No one goes out and sees their friends. A, the world's scarier. B, that's how they interact now. I, I will sit with my kid. A lot of comics hate all the people that the YouTube and TikTok personalities. Yeah. My kids watch that stuff. I watch with them. They're very funny, talented people on there. It's a different thing from what yeah. I do. But if you can't roll, if you can't move on with the times and at least understand that you're, you're going to be stuck in the past. Mm. So I enjoy that. I talk to my kids mostly through text and we do phone calls every day, but we text a lot or we send pictures or funny memes or things like that. Yeah. It's another way of interacting. Now, if they're looking at stuff that's just, you know, bad, but just like anything in life, as long as they're willing to talk to me about it and we can talk about what's on there, they're, they're 18 and 15 years old. They're young adults. They're going to, that's how their their life's going to be. And someday when they have kids, their kids are going to stare at whatever magic laser beam hologram glasses thing they do and not understand it either. Yeah. No, this is who we are. I mean, you and I wouldn't be able to do this show unless we met somewhere a couple years ago true so we do this now but we would have thought it was hilarious that you would you're, i mean think about it we would watch sci-fi movies from a long time ago and there's two heads on a screen they're talking like what's that the future yeah it is yeah and we're living in it now and doing it so I, I embrace it yeah and you're right you really have to roll with the punches and like i just did also- a show recently i was i just did a show yeah. recently this guy's been people have been putting on some like they call them secret shows because you're not supposed to gather. So some people ah. in their own backyards and places are like, they're actually getting comics work. They're doing donations and things. And I did one up in Greenwich and there were a bunch of comics around there in someone's backyard. And um, as we were up there, they, they invite people that are fans of the certain, uh, there's a uh, thing called Compound Media in New York that Anthony Cumia does. And I've done some shows on there and stuff. So they're all their fans were invited to go, but like couldn't get the location to like a day or two before or whatever. Oh, that's cool. And, but what was crazy was I knew who was coming, but only knew them by their Twitter handle. Really? And their picture they had. So when I meet them for real, I'm like, they're like, hi, I'm Tom. I'm like, who's Tom? They're like, oh, I'm Joey Boobs. I'm like, oh, okay, Joey Boobs. I didn't really, you know, and you're, the, picture yeah. of you is, the picture of you is a, a good looking person. And that's not who you are. But okay. <laughs> but like, but that's how you, Yeah. that's the same kind of thing. It's like, I, mm-hmm. I was friendly with them. They knew everything about me. I knew about them and what they did, but I didn't even know their names. 
but that connection brought us together and they came there and supported and helped me make money and helped let me entertain them. And they had laughs. So it's a good thing, you know? Yeah. And it's created community too. I feel like in different ways that it, that we didn't have before. Um, I am curious because you also just said like, oh, like if we didn't have this technology, like you and I couldn't be doing this. I know you have a podcast. Um, I have a couple, you have a few podcasts and you do a lot of zoom recordings as well. So how have you adapted to this new normal, to the technology? And has it really like, have you embraced it? Are you like here for it? Like, how's it been? Well, before quarantine, I had no idea how to Zoom. If I podcast, and I've been doing a podcast for five years, my Mm -hmm. own one, a Pat Oates podcast. I would have people come to my house and go in my kitchen and we would record there. And that's how we did it. And if you yep. couldn't, I, and my guests were people I knew that were kind of local or at least going to be in the area or whatever. I sometimes bring the equipment with me somewhere, but I didn't feel like lugging it around. And I didn't really know what I was doing. I had a buddy kind of running it and I would just be the host. Okay. When this started. And I was like, I first heard of Zoom and stuff. I'm like, well, I better learn this. And I started learning about green screens. I started learning about that and asked people for help and stuff. But like now I will never do it any other way. Oh really? I can talk, I've had guests on from all over the country. I've 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 had people more interested. I can do it in a heartbeat. I can do it at, at, while balancing a work schedule. I can do it eleven at night. I can do it twelve in the yeah. afternoon. I can do it whenever. And now I can share video. I didn't really know how to do that. I can share video on my YouTube channel. I premiere that before the night before my shows come out, and then the next day the audio comes out everywhere else, and I have both from the same recording. And I'm actually starting slowly to teach myself video editing. I don't know a lot about it. But I'm starting because we had the time. So I might as well take advantage of it. I usually do one podcast a week. With this, I'm putting out two plus an extra one on the Patreon, taking advantage of it more and learning how to become stronger on the mic as uh, asking other podcasters I know and respect, same way I did in comedy, Mm -hmm. for advice and how to do better interviews, how to make shows more interesting and stuff. So, yeah, I've jumped on this. This has helped more because I can talk to them. I can just hit them up and be like, hey, how do I do this? They go, oh, we'll just go on Zoom. Yeah. Also, it sounds like you're constantly like learning, like teaching yourself new things, whether that's in comedy or like radio or technologies. Is that, or life? Is that how you've always been? No. No? No, that's newer. That's really, that's, I used to think I knew everything and then life got easier when I realized I know nothing. And Hmm. then it's better off to surround yourself with people that do things different than you than people that are like you. I think it's funny. Okay. Like you take a dating app and not that I go on them, but I always hear about like someone puts on the things they think people want to see about them. Like these are my things or also the things they like. And if you don't like line dancing and you don't like the Patriots, I don't want to talk to you. Well, you like line dancing. You yeah. like the Patriots. Why are you going to learn from? How are you going to grow from someone else who likes to say, yeah, you can share the interest, but you already have friends and fans for that. Yeah. Like, why not go to somebody who doesn't like sports at all? Or I'm a comic, someone who does like writing or something different where I can learn from them and they can learn from me and we can grow. Like yeah. if I'm going to be in relationships and friendships or in life, I'd rather grow and learn from people things because it's so much more fun to learn and fail than just, just know. And that's like so funny you say that because literally like my boyfriend is a huge sports guy and like I am not. So it's right. Like he talks about sports and I'm like, well, now I know like what icing means in hockey. And before I thought it was just the thing I licked on a cupcake. So I'm learning things. Yeah. Um, and and you I can think tell him that joke too. and he can pretend it's funny. Yeah, exactly. That's, awesome. like, say, that's right? a good relationship thing. It's yeah. Like, but seriously, like you, even if you didn't like it, it's the fact that you're – so many people would just go, I'm going in the other room. Yeah. And the fact that you're going to sit there and be like, hey, this is important to him. 
I'll hang out. I can stare at my phone a little bit and watch this thing. Yeah. I like, listen, I like to watch shows with people that they, they're like, I'm like, you choose. I want to see what you like. Oh, also, interesting. But also in comedy, that helps. Because really? I, well, I need to know more than just what I know. I'm not okay. there to make me laugh. I'm there to make everyone laugh. So right. it's, it's good to know pop culture. It's good to know uh, lots of different shows, things that are going on in the world. Even things that don't interest me, it's good to know how other people view things so I can make them. I have to write in my point of view, but, but connect with your point of view. Okay, before we get into, because I'm curious about your, you just mentioned that you know pop culture and stuff. So I'm definitely curious about what you like and what you don't like. Um, what made you want to podcast? Why did you go from like, comic like doing shows making people laugh in person to like this platform why did you well, do we're that? doing both i mean i was doing comedy and okay. then five years ago yeah. i just noticed everyone else had one <laughs> i literally said i should have True. one too i was running a comedy club in new haven it was called joker's wild i was their voice i was their uh, i was their manager and in-house comic okay and um so we had i was there during the day literally running the place like from about three to five there was just this dead time with nothing going on and a buddy of mine had some sound equipment and i was like just come by the club we'll just like start chatting with each other and do something and it became this thing i started enjoying doing and then we do it near the close to the open mic so i tell a couple of young comics come by an hour early and just be on the podcast and we just chat as young comics and kind of learn and then i learned right away that the only way people would listen is if i made fun of or talked crap about the other young comics so on purpose <laughs> i would say oh this other comic's got a terrible joke he stinks and then people would go did you hear what he said about you they would all listen and they start to build a little audience all right and start really enjoying it and then grew from that going okay i can talk more about me and what i talk about and stuff like that the podcast used to be called pat oats is sad that was the name of it for a while oh and no that's because, well, that's because a buddy of mine Mm -hmm. always said that no matter even when i'm happy i look like i'm always sad like, yeah. i called it resting basset hound face and it's kind of what i had oh like, my god I always looked like that and i was like i said before mm -hmm. i was very sad for yeah while. and then like i started to get more confident and better people were like well you can't call it that anymore you're that's not sad so i switched it to pat Oates show and make it the initials pop one of my favorite in sync songs wow what a segue look at that it's on my running playlist Oh my God. Okay. So now song. we're going to talk about pop culture for a few minutes. That's a great segue. When I was on Pat's podcast, we talked about boy bands because I told you that was like one of my things. Like I just love all the boy bands from Beach Boys to NSYNC. And you said you did too. I love, a, I love when a group performs like that. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I mean, when I was younger, it was Jackson 5. That was the yep. one where, I mean, they were, I was already they were way past that, but like my mom listened to it and I was like, that's insane how they all sound together and something like that. I wasn't a huge, I, I was in high school. I wasn't a big uh, new kids person. Okay. I understood, but I wasn't big on that. But when I, and this is the weirdest, I'm in college, I'm playing rugby and I'm finding out about the Backstreet Boys Stop. and sync. And every time I heard the music, exactly like what pop is supposed to be, yeah. it would make me dance. It would make me feel good. And then my friends would laugh because I had this gruff voice and this exterior and I'm singing all the words to the song. And I just, it makes me feel good. And I, and then it would begin this thing, almost a laughing thing, like try to go ahead and make fun of it in front of Pat. Pat will defend it. I'm like, it's good music. If it wasn't good, we wouldn't all know what it was. It's, when things are that good, but also that simple, people want to knock it down because it's easy to knock down. Yeah. You know what I mean? And if you're not going to tell me that Justin Timberlake isn't the Dean Martin of now, you're insane. That's who he is. Look yes. at who they are. He, he can sing. He can yep. dance. He can perform. He can do anything. And they saw that. Yeah, he wasn't supposed to be that. It was mm -hmm. supposed to be JC. But, yeah. But there's certain ones that came out of that. But, like, you could see the entertainment. But also, I also like the idea of it. I like 
same thing with comedy, the yeah. building of it. That mm-hmm. there was literally someone, yes, normally they end up being a real creep, but in the moment, they were this weird talent scout who not only understood individual talent, but understood how to take five different people, make them all fill different village people roles, yep. and make them, but without doing, I mean, the village people is the easiest version because they're like, you're an Indian chief. Yeah, exactly. You're a cop. It's like, but in this had to be, they really had to think about girls that like bad boys. Who will they like? Girls who like soft, sensitive people. You'll like this. Yes. Girls who like a guy who's going to end up being gay and going to the moon. You'll like Lance Bass. There's all different things you have there, (laughs) which he almost was that, which is great. They had to find all those things and then convince those kids to make it work and realize that they can get these young children as they're going to grow up into men to stay within these roles and become these things. Our music taste is like so similar. Who would have known? I'm pop. I, I, I'm into boy bands. And, and believe me, I've needed another comedian, a guy in Connecticut named Darren Rivera, are yeah. two of the biggest Air Supply fans you've ever heard of. Really? I don't know. Once again, a melody, a nice feel. I like lyrics. Yeah. You could make fun of all boy bands you want. There's real lyrics. There's wording. Each person has to get their little message out, like in chapter. All five of them have to get yeah. their little point of view out to everyone to, to know who they are, but it tells a story. Yeah. And I enjoy that in music. I like, I like listening to words in music. I, I, like that, I like that the fact that it makes me dance as well, but I enjoy that. And they tell dumb little stories and you get that kind of stuff. And love songs, ballads, things like that have always hit me in the same kind of way. Now, I can't sing them with this raspy voice, but I try to do my best. Yeah. But, but I just, it's something about those songs that, soothe the savage beast if you will if i'm in a bad mood i can listen to songs like that and feel good what's your favorite band though i someone asked me the other day it, it ranges i've mm-hmm. i love the foo fighters um okay. and that's because i love dave grohl it's not even the them yeah. i just I, I and i don't like nirvana i think nirvana is one of the most overrated bands in the world really? I really i think if he was alive first of all he'd have the most boring twitter and he'd be yelling at us <laughs> and all and they, I mean, i'm not saying they're a bad band but i don't think they're one of the greatest ever but okay. i do think david grohl is one of the most talented be- i mean to be a great drummer in one of the most famous bands ever think about like the humbleness of going i can sing in this one but i found a better drummer than me so i'm gonna have have this guy be the drummer yeah. and trust that he can do a better job than I did with Nirvana and make more music. I mean, Grohl was respected. Tom Petty tried to get him to be in the Heartbreakers many times, and he almost did that when Nirvana first ended. Like, oh, wow. So, so I love that. Speaking of them, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, one of my favorite mm-hmm. bands of all time as well. Um, and But my favorite album ever comes from the Counting Crows, and it's August and everything after, because that album has every – if you listen to a song, it has, every song can touch every mood and feeling you've ever had. Kind of like Pearl Jam's 10 in the same way where all 10 different songs, you could play any one of them and you could argue with people which one of your favorite of the 10 songs are, but people won't just say one, two, or three. You might know Alive. You might know Jeremy. Okay. Black and things like that are other songs, but you can have one song that fires you up, one song that makes you feel good, one song that helps you through sadness. Both those albums do that perfect. I use music. If I'm going to, if I think about a joke, I'm going to write something or not even a joke, just trying to write. I like to do a lot of different writing and stuff. If I do that, I listen to music to get the certain feeling I want, but not like if I'm writing about sad, I don't need sad, but I need, I need structure. I need lyrics, things like that. They'll get me in the right frame of mind. So something that will remind me of a certain thing. I'll go to this certain person. Like okay. um, if I try to write jokes that I think really need to connect to people, like to really Get, get you if I want to talk to one type of person I listen to country music country okay. music has an incredible ability to know like Luke Holmes and Chris Stapleton know their audience oh yeah like, they know exactly what they're saying so I want to write something that I know that's going to hit home and audience I listen to wordings I'm like how do I make it because usually like I said comedy you want to be universal but sometimes right. you really want to hit one group you really want to make sure they get it the most and others can understand it around it so country does that for me and Stapleton's just also one of the best just, like singer songwriters there is so oh I love like, him yeah who also did a song with Justin Timberlake 
Yes, he did. Oh, my goodness. Yes, he did. Oh, it's and a good time. The day that the Timberlake and the Tennessee thing came out on Netflix, I watched it yeah. that day. I mean, I really? Oh, yes, I did. Oh, so you're a Timberlake person? Yes, I am. I love Timberlake. I used to love, I love Joey Fatone. I, all of them did well in their they own They all did aspects. well. I just loved Joey because he was Italian and I was 10. And I was like, I'm Italian too. So, like, I love Joey. I think it's funny. My kids would watch uh, the Fairly Odd Parents. Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah. Chip Skylark. Uh, and Chris Chip Kirkpatrick. Skylark, Chris Kirkpatrick. But all five of them, if you think about all the boy band, all five of them were the only ones to go off and do exactly what they wanted to do. Yeah. Not like be forced into another thing. All things that fit. Joey Fatone going into acting and going to the Greek wedding and all that made sense for that person. Yeah. I think with NSYNC, they were allowed to, especially when JT became front, uh, uh, typically came front and JC went back, they, you started to go, oh, they can be interchangeable and they're yeah. allowed to kind of grow and be who they are instead of being yeah. forced into these roles. So normally I would ask you some other pop culture stuff, but I just love that we just chatted like for literally 10 minutes about boy yes. bands, which is like pretty cover. on brand for me. For you um, and not for me. Not, <laughs> not for you. But the, what I talk about is, like I said before, learning new things. I was open-minded to this. You talked to me. You're like, oh, we we're both do radio. We're the same. We were the same in many ways, but also some people watch this and said, if one person watched this who's got a ton of tattoos and thinks he's a tough guy, but also likes that music, sir, don't be afraid. Sing Peter Cetera out loud. Enjoy it. If you see me walking by with a teardrop in my eye, look away, sir. Baby, look away. <laughs> basic things are basic for a reason. They become, because they're so loved that people just throw them off to the side, but, but you go back to them. Yeah. And I love that. So I found out today that you're a little basic and I love it. I'm beyond basic. Well, Pat, I hope that you will come back um, because I feel like we have a lot more to talk about because this was Definitely. so much fun. Um, but before you go, just plug it in. Tell everyone where they can hear you, where they can find you. Go for uh, it. Pat Oates Podcast, you can find anywhere you listen to podcasts. Um, the best thing to find my stuff is on YouTube. Uh, I've got a YouTube channel, uh, my Pat Oates channel. All my podcasts from my Pat Oates Podcast are on there. I have another po- uh, podcast. The name, listen very carefully, is Podophiles. <laughs> anything else it's podophiles and it's not about feet which someone just told me recently it sounds like it is no it's about people on a podcast saying crazy things we, me and two other comics we take things that are like the narrative that people talk about in life and try to debunk it you know yeah. and things like that you know is there a god things like that. but by also by making fun of it in the most offensive way humanly possible so you can listen to that and enjoy that <laughs> as well um I've, I've got those two things and um like i said i've got my book uh, how not to suck a comedy it's on amazon you can find it there and, or in any, any way you listen to me, subscribe, listen, and all that fun stuff. Perfect. Well, yeah, Pat, definitely come back because we will have to continue this pop culture conversation because I'm yeah. after learning this about you, I'm so curious about so many other things. We'll so, deep dive next time. Without a doubt. Oh, hell yeah. All right, everybody. That was Getting Back to Basic with Pat Oates. I hope you enjoyed. I hope you laughed. I hope that uh, you're inspired to go listen to a little in sync. Make sure you follow me at Danielle Maria Costa on Instagram. Follow the podcast at Back to Basic Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, review. Tell me who you want me to get back to basic with and what you want me to get back to basic about. And I will see you next week because on Wednesdays, we podcast. Bye, bye, bye.